Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Hello, once again, Kingdom Corner Podcast followers. The great Matt Geib with you here today from the cold, wet, soggy, cold Pacific Northwest here on one of the first days of spring, and yet it feels like winter. And for this episode of the podcast, we're into Ephesians chapter 1. We're getting down toward the end of the chapter. And just to kind of take you from where we're at here, we're going to start what I call today an intercessory prayer that changes people and circumstances. An intercessory prayer that changes people and circumstances. And we'll subtitle this Urgency and Desire. And just for a recap, this is Paul's first intercessory prayer. He has another prayer. That's where we started in the summer, about July or August, when I felt to start going through the book of Ephesians. And that one was in the second half of Ephesians chapter 3. And we had talked about obliterating depression or oppression. Six points to obliterate or overcome oppression or depression. You can find that in the back episodes about July or August. And that's when we started to go through Ephesians. We were coming up upon uh, chapter 6 about a month ago, getting ready to get into the armor of God, when I decided that before we got into that, which is the great crescendo of the book, we couldn't leave this book without going back to the very first part of the book, the very opening of the book, the very first chapter, and we would go back there and we would go from chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 3 to get caught up. So we've been in chapter 1 for about a month. And we are in the last part of chapter 1, and I want to read this to you, this scripture, Ephesians 1, 15 to 21. This is where we're at today. Paul's intercessory prayer for the Ephesus church, or for the church of Jesus Christ, for you and I, actually. Therefore, or for this reason, or on account of this, there's several ways to translate that, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, And your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, asking that God of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, and some versions say the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named? not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. An intercessory prayer that changes people and circumstances. Part A. This is going to be two-parter here for sure. Part A, urgency and desire. We're talking about a prayer of urgency and desire today. 
and he talks about this, and I'm going to highlight some phrases here that we're going to talk about today. Verse 15, therefore, or some versions say, for this reason, on account of this, we're going to look at that phrase. The next phrase, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the next phrase, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third phrase, the Father of glory. The next phrase, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The next phrase we're going to look at then is in the knowledge of him. And then we're going to talk about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened or the eyes of your heart being enlightened, some translations say. The last phrase we'll consider today, and then we'll connect into it next week, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Let's read these again. Therefore, for this reason, or on account of this, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's the end of verse 18 there, or half of verse 18. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Those things I highlighted, the phrases I want to get into. Let's look at this then. Therefore, or for this reason, or on account of this, what reason is he talking about? What is he referring to when Paul's starts out this prayer that way. He's saying, because of the Ephesians, we can get back to this part, because of the Ephesians, great faith and love for all the saints. They had a track record. He had heard of them in Rome, that they had a great love, a great compassion, a great faith for the saints of God, for each other. There was a bond between them. We could look at Galatians 5, 6 as a cross-reference. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And remember, the Ephesus church was made up of the Jews, but the Gentiles were brought in because Paul was the Gentile apostle, and they were now one body. We've talked about that before, and that's it. And we talked about that when we um, were talking about in Ephesians 2, I believe. They were one body. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, whether you're Jew or Gentile. That's, that's not what we're talking about anymore in the gospel of Christ. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I believe this church was doing that well. They had faith that was working through love, and that made it possible for Paul to begin to have a passion to pray for them. This points us back to the beginning of this passage. On account of what? On account of these facts. Let's list the facts for you that we've already gone through the last couple of weeks. Because of that you are favored sons and daughters of God. Also because of the redemption forgiveness of sin that we receive through Jesus Christ. Also I pray for you because of the mystery of the gospel that's been opened up to you. This is what Paul could be saying. We also have, you have also been given a great wisdom. We have been given a life purpose, Paul would be saying. We have been given an inheritance 
and we have been sealed and enlightened with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what he's saying to the Ephesus saints. That's this prayer in light of this, because of these things, because of the reading of the will, because you have been blessed with the spiritual blessings that the chapter talks about in verse 3, 1, 3, in heavenly places, because you know that you know this, I can begin to pray, or Paul begins to pray, a powerful prayer of intercession for the Ephesus church. And it could apply to us. This is, this is a prayer that we could pray for our friends. I used to take and put the people that I ministered to, their names in there, and say, you know, pray it this way. I would say, therefore, because of this reason, after I heard of John Paul's great faith and love for Jesus, I pray that John Paul would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Abba. I would put people's names in there. You can put your family's names in there. But let me be clear. Let me be clear, very clear about this. This is not a prayer for the faint-hearted. As one person would say, be careful what you wish or pray for. This is not a prayer for the faint of heart. This is not a flippant prayer. This is a prayer that, an intercessory prayer that has to be backed by faith, working through love, that you are serious as can be, that you want to see God work on behalf of yourself, your family, your friends, the saints that you fellowship with and do life with. Okay? Verse 17, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the man Christ Jesus. Paul's referring to Jesus when he was on the earth as a man. Paul prayed following the, this example as well. And that's the other prayer, the prayer of persistence that I made mention of in the beginning. He prayed as well, okay? Ephesians 3, 13 to 20, he was a man of prayer. All right. He prayed for them to obliterate oppression and depression. That's what those scriptures are about. There are six points in there. You could go back in the Kingdom Corner podcast and find those episodes, okay, back July or August. Jesus, the man, as he prayed, he did pray many hours overnight. You can read in several places in scripture. Luke 6, 12 talks about this overnight for the disciples in the garden. When he was being ready to be led away, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and they fell asleep. But he was praying. He was interceding, okay? He was praying that all the time for his disciples that they would assimilate and understand in their hearts what he taught them, not just intellectually, but that it would grasp their hearts. This is that kind of praying. This is that kind of asking. Hebrews 5, 7, another scripture about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh— when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save from death and was heard in that he feared. Okay? He offered up prayers of supplication, crying and tears. You know, intercession gripped his heart, gripped his soul. Okay? Here's another scripture, Luke twenty-two thirty-one to 32, right before Jesus was led away captive to be put on trial the night before he was crucified. Luke 22, 21 and 32. And the Lord said, you know, Simon, they were coming to take the Christ away. And Simon said, I'm never going to let them do that to you, Lord. And the Lord said unto Simon, 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 behold, Satan has desired to have you or to sift you as wheat. 
And I'm allowing him to do that. I'm allowing him to test you is what that really means there. But I am praying for thee that your faith will not fail you. And when thou art converted, that you will strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus was praying that Peter would be strengthened in this hour of trial, that he would overcome and come through it, which we know he did. You know, he denied the Lord three times. He went off and cried. He didn't do as Judas and commit suicide, but he came back. We know that when Jesus arose again and saw them having breakfast on the seashore, that, you know, they had that great discourse where the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? And three times he asked him. And then what happened after Jesus went up to ascended into heaven at Pentecost, Peter preached that great sermon where 3,000 were added to the church and the Holy Ghost came down in power. And I believe that was directly related to our Savior, our Lord's prayer of intercession. There's other places. John 17, Jesus' great intercessory prayer. Again, at the Last Supper, I believe, around that time, he was praying for his disciples and actually praying for us that we would be one, that we would be one with him and one with the Father. Matthew 6, 9 and Luke eleven two. This is the apostles, the disciples wanted to know how to pray. And he said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You all know that prayer. But it wasn't just a rote prayer. It was a prayer from the heart, really, meant to be. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I love that. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what this prayer also, I believe, can relate to here in Ephesians 1. 15 through 21, that kind of prayer, that the kingdom of God would come, and we'll see why in a minute. Let's look at some of this more about praying. The Father of glory, that's another phrase we want to look at. We looked at asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we want to look at the next phrase that I have highlighted in my notes. The Father of glory, that's a wonderful phrase. It could be rendered the glorious Father, the Father who himself is glorious. This meaning, the one who originates glory. The Father originates the glory. The one who begets glory. The Father who produces it or produces the glory. We could say he is the Father of glory, that is Abba, in the sense that he is the Father to whom all glory belongs. This, is, then, is an introductory phrase to an intercessory prayer by Paul for truth. What Paul is saying is that when we pray for truth, when we intercede for truth, you are asking Abba, you are asking God to make his truth glorious. Make it glorious means good. Glorious means something that's a heavy revelation, actually, quabode, glory, okay? To light it up to make it come alive, to make it vivid, living, vital. That is God's promise to do for us because he is our Abba. He is our Father of glory. And you know, when I think of this phrase, I think of the bride of Christ and Jesus, the Father in a wedding. Who pays for the wedding? Of course, the Father does. We prayed for our daughter's first wedding. She, unfortunately, she's no longer married, but that's the, uh, 
what is expected. That's the culture. The father and the mother of the bride pay for the wedding. Well, in this case, the heavenly father sets up the great wedding of his son in the church. He puts it all together. Remember, we read further in Ephesians where he presents the church a church glorious unto himself. That's what God does. He presents it. He gets it ready. He pays all the bills, so to speak. He takes care of all the spots and the wrinkles. You know, I mean, we have to do something too, but he does all that. And so that's what the father of glory is doing. He's preparing a wedding. He's getting a bride ready in these last days for his son to be wed to his son. And that's what I want to get into here, that this prayer, like I said in the beginning, is not a prayer for the faint of heart. Don't pray this prayer. Don't flippantly just read it or pray it if you don't really mean it. It'll be like in the Old Testament where it talks about making a vow and not following through on that vow. That's what it'll be like. You'll be held in judgment for that, I believe. This is for the serious ones. And I just want to say here, I want to talk about this here and I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but it's just a fact that not everybody in the kingdom of God, not everybody that's given their life to Jesus or started down that road, it has the same heart, desire, or passion. When we look at the wedding of Jesus Christ to his bride, the church, there are those that are guests at the wedding, and there are those that are ushers at the wedding, and then there are those who are the bride. Okay, there's always a distinction. We could look at another example from the New Testament, Matthew 25. You read through the first few verses, it's about the five. There were 10 virgins. They were all virgins. They were all clean and pure. Okay, but five had oil, which represents the Holy Ghost, and five were unprepared and did not when the bridegroom came. So not everybody's at the same level. Okay, and I'm also thinking in the Old Testament, I thought of another example. When we're talking about the Old Testament, the old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. The story, the account of Esau and Jacob. Jacob desired the things of God. He desired the blessing of his father. Okay, the blessing of his father. Do you get that? But Esau didn't seem to care about that. It says when he came in from the field, he was so hungry that. He sold his, you know, his brother kind of tempted him. His brother deceived him because that was his name in the beginning, deceiver. But God respected something in Jacob because Jacob, Jacob had a heart for God, actually. He had a heart for the things of God, wanted to be blessed, okay? Wanted that number one birthright of the firstborn son, so much so that he deceived his brother and his father, because his father was blind, if you remember, out of it. And later on, when he wrestled with the angel, if you read the story, his name was changed from deceiver to man having power with God. There was something about Jacob, even though he was a bit deceptive, that God loved. And that was his desire. He had a desire. He had a passion. Whereas Esau said, some versions say, actually said he despised his birthright. And when you read in that, more into that, you read like some versions say it was unimportant to him. It wasn't of any value to him. So he sold it for porridge because he was hungry, right? Then later on, he regretted it. 
maybe not because of the birthright, but because he was sorry what he'd miss out on, not because he wanted the things of God so much, all right? We could go on. It was unimportant to him. It was worthless to him, is what the scriptures are saying. And I just want to relate that. There's a lot of Christians today, what value do you place on praying for, like this scripture says, praying for the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge having a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Abba, in the knowledge of him, having your eyes of your heart enlightened that you might know his calling. What value are you placing on that today? Are you more concerned about whether the Seahawks trade Russell Wilson? Are you more concerned about your favorite baseball player's stats? Are you more concerned about what's going on in the news or what's happening on the latest sitcom that you watch. I'm not saying all that; those things are bad, but our first desire must be of God, of his things, of his presence, of being uh, wed to him as his bride. I could go on and I could talk about more of that. The Bible really delineates this. In Revelation, it talks about the church of Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Okay. That doesn't mean they're totally dead. They're, they have a little warmth to them, but it's not that much. And he said, I'd rather you were hot or cold. I'd rather you were totally on for me or off. God wants all of us. He wants all that we have. He wants all of our passion, all of our desire. Okay, I'm reminded of another story in the Old Testament of even in his old age, Elisha was on his sickbed. God was soon going to take him to heaven. And yet he was still passionate for the Lord and for the God's kingdom. What did he do? The king came to his house. The enemy was going to come upon them. He prophesied and said, okay, shoot an arrow out the window. And the king shot the arrow out the window. Now he said, go out there and beat on the ground with the arrows." And so he did. He only beat on the arrow with the arrows, the king did, only three times, kind of half-heartedly. And Elisha rebuked him. And he said, if you would have beat harder, if you would have beaten more times, that's how much I would have utterly destroyed the enemy. But now because you've been so half-hearted about it, you won't have as big of a victory. And I'm, I'm just paraphrasing there. But a lot of Christians are like that. They're only half sold out. They're only in part way. You know, they want to be in for what benefits them. Okay. They're not like the Lord who in the garden, it talks about he prayed and it was like great drops of blood came out because he was praying, interceding right before he was uh, going to be taken away in trial, right? So I've talked to you about asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about prayer. We talked about the importance of passionate prayer, of passionate intercession. We talked about the Father of glory, that he's the one putting this great divine wedding on. Now let's go to the next phrase. And then next week, we're going to have to come back and we're going to connect this even more. May God, or may he give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. May he give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's some beautiful thoughts here. This is an intercession by Paul that intellectual truth and teaching would grip each heart and mind and soul so much in the Ephesus church that they would become living and become a living, would be made living and alive and that their lives would be transformed. 
Teaching is never enough. We must connect what we see, read with our eye gate, and hear with our ears and in our mind. It has to reach the heart. Our emotions, our guts must be moved. Our splankna, our inner man. Like it says in Acts, Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. Let me say that again. In him we live and move and have our being. That's a scripture that should get you feeling something when you read that and you meditate upon it. It's not just an intellectual thing. Wisdom and revelation, all right, has to come into our hearts. And we're talking about a wisdom and a revelation that is a special revealing to the hungry ones. A prayer for the hungry. Remember we talked about that? Remember we talked about the, that you want to be a Jacob? a hungry one, not like Esau, and that you want to, it says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. That means we have to hunger. Blessed are the beggarly in spirit is the way the Greek says it. We have to all, the healthy heart set or mindset in the kingdom of God is always hunger. And when he's talking here about, may God give to you a spirit, that's an interesting word. It's a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This spirit is not solely pneuma or Holy Spirit. In fact, I think it's a little s, like the human spirit. But actually, when you reach into this, look into it in the Greek, it means both the Holy Spirit and the spirit of man kind of combined, okay? It's kind of talking about both here in this verse. It's a special illumination of the Holy Spirit to our human spirit that God has made alive when we came to Christ. A special illumination for the hungry ones. Is that you? Of wisdom. And this gift, this is a special gifting or an endowment of wisdom. It's more like having your heart so transformed by God that you take on the characterization of wisdom okay? Like Solomon, that you have that kind of wisdom that is abiding in you. And we could look at 1 John, what is it, 2, 26 and 27, where it talks about we have the Spirit of Christ that comes into us in, in the knowledge of Him. We've talked about that word. That's a positional word. It's a word of foundation, a word of being in Christ, okay? In. Paul's interceding that they might have such a work of God evident in their lives that they will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation from him as a result of the Holy Spirit energizing their human spirit. A knowledge, we're talking about a full knowledge, an experiential, authentic knowledge. And I like the way the one translation here that I've written also here, we could read it this way, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the sphere of a full knowledge of him. In the sphere, that means you have to be in that place to receive it, of a full knowledge of him. It's experiential. We could go on and talk about Isaiah 11, 2-3 that talks about the seven spirits of God the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by sight or by his eyes, nor decide by hearing. If we want the word of God to become living, transforming to us, indelibly written on our hearts, 
we must ask in humility and hunger. James 4.2 uh, talks about you have not because you ask not. Matthew 5.6, it talks about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It's there for us. It's appropriated to us, or I should say gifted to us in the will, but we must come and get it. We must come and appropriate it. We must come and take it and ask for it as ours in humility. All that God has for us is yes and amen. However, it is never just given to us automatically. Just like we do not do all things for our kids, you know, God will do things for us. He blesses us all the time, but he's not going to do everything for us. He wants us to be hungering. He wants us to be asking. He expects us to show appreciation and thankfulness. We've already talked about Esau and Jacob. That is the reason we pray with this heartfelt earnestness for wisdom and revelation or apocalypse, an unveiling of who God is. That's what apocalypse, that's what revelation means. In an experiential knowledge of Abba, that God's truth could come alive and be vital in our lives. Remember, the, I had a message a while ago about man would not live or should not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me ask you a question today, and I'm not here yet, but God's going to get me here. Do you hunger for the word of God, the bread of life, more than you do food? Some might say right away, oh, yeah, yeah, that means more important to me than food, but is it really? <laughs> When's the last time you fasted for a week? Okay. Let me read something else here as we finish up. Do you pray like that? Or do you pray like we've been talking about when you read your Bible? Do you open the pages and say, Lord, show me yourself? This is not merely a book to read in order to learn what is going to happen as prophecy is fulfilled. This isn't a book from which to get ethical guidelines on how to behave in relationships. It's not just a nice book about history. Primarily, and paramountly, this book, the Bible, is designed to lead you to stand in the presence of the living God, to feel Him, to know Him, to sense His love, His wisdom, His strength, His might, His incredible grasp of circumstances, His control of human events, and to enable you to understand your relationship to Him, to have Him stand in your presence, living breathing, compassionate. That is what this book is for. That is the wonder of it. No other book has this quality, but this one does. Christ can step out of the pages and be a living presence in your life and heart, increasingly more and more each day. This is what's happening for me as I open my Bible. He's becoming more real and more alive to me. It's not just a book, but I see him. I feel him. I sense him through the words that are on that page. Boy, we're going on here. The eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart being enlightened. This talks about both intellectual and emotional or of the heart being impacted. They're in view here. Eyes are such an important organ, are they not? So much comes through our eye gate. They are the instrument by which we see and perceive things. Matthew 6, 22 and 23 puts it this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
So we have to have our eyes, our mind, and our heart enlightened, right? Paul's prayer is that what they now understand and perceive through the teaching he's given them will capture their hearts. This is so far beyond any intellectual knowledge. It's spiritually discerned knowledge. Luke 24, 30 to 32, I think I've spoken about that a couple, maybe last week even. We must have a burning experience in our hearts. This puts this together well, the intellectual with the heart knowledge. And this was the, the road to Emmaus right after the he Jesus had arose, but these two disciples did not know that. They were very discouraged, and they were walking down the road. They had put all their hopes into seeing Jesus come alive again, and they were dashed, and they were wondering what they were going to do. They were on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus joined them on the road and began to dissect for them the Old Testament, the Talmud, and how it connected to the resurrection and to there being a Messiah, and that there really was a Messiah. He began to build hope in their lives, and then they veered off the road to have a little dinner, and what happened? Here's what it says. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him See, their eyes were opened. They'd already had it, had the word broken to them or given to them on the road to Emmaus intellectually, but their eyes were open. The understanding was made clear. They recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, and here's where it gets into the heart. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Our heart is the seat of our emotions. God wants to impact our heart with his word and through this prayer. An enlightenment of the heart must happen so our will can then begin to align with the heart of God and we can begin to do the works of God. Greek, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened with the present result that they are in now in a state of illumination. Are you in a state of illumination today? Are you walking in a state of illumination? Are you turned on? That's what those that are on fire for God are like. That's what those that are hot like the Laodiceans, he said, I don't want you lukewarm. I want you hot or cold. So if you become hot, this illumination has been turned on. And uh, we could read another scripture, but I'm not going to go into it. Matthew 13, 11, the disciples asked him, why do you teach in parables? Because he wanted only the hungry to know what he was talking about. Maybe we'll go into that another time. It wasn't for everybody to know. You know, those of the religious mindset could not catch it. Their eyes were not open. Paul is interceding for a permanent work of the Holy Spirit to be done in their human spirits, so much so that their inner capacities for grasping truth may result in lasting benefits. And next week, we're going to talk about what those benefits are. We're going to talk about the eyes of your understanding of your heart, or of your eyes of your heart being enlightened, so you may know the hope of his calling. We're going to begin to get into the what he's talking about in the hope of his calling. So thank you for coming to the Kingdom Corner podcast. Please come back next week for part two of intercessory prayer that will change lives and change circumstances. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on the Kingdom Corner hosted by Matt Guide. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance. 
a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.